Genesis chapter 50, page 85, if the Bibles and the benches in front of you are the same as the small one up here. Genesis chapter 50, and let's begin the reading at verse 15, and we'll continue through verse 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. These the very words of God. And in connection with this scripture, we note also the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10, page 17, in the backs of the blue hymnals, if you wish to follow the reading. Lord's Day 10, question 27, what do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty. All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. And then question 28, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? And in reading the answer, I'm going to call your attention to Four key words we'll get back to in this sermon. We can be patient. That's the first word, patient, when things go against us. Thankful, that's the second word, when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence. Those two words are the third word. In our faithful God and Father, those four words are the fourth, that nothing will separate us from his love 
All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. This is the teaching of the Catechism. This evening's sermon on Joseph, and in particular the conclusion to his life here, Genesis 50, 19 and 20, have been very powerful in my own life, and I refer back in my life to the sermon you're going to get often. But I'm not going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about God. Our subject is God's providence, and we'll try to apply God and his providence to your lives because sermons are to be about God's people and do so in a way that I hope will give you spiritual instruction but also encouragement and comfort, especially as you look ahead, though we could also look back. Now, before getting into specifics, there is a pattern that I see in all of Joseph's life that I've seen over and over again in my life and over and over again in the lives of God's people during the 40 years I was active in ministry. That pattern is this. I'll put it in four statements. First, forward. We go forward with our lives. Second, backward. Joseph went backward, so do we. Third, and this may be the most important thing, upward. Especially when things go backward, we have to look upward. And then fourth, forward again, and briefly if there's time, fifth, further forward. It's a pattern that recurs not only in Joseph's life, but in our lives. And it doesn't happen once. It happens over and over again. Try to explain as we go through it from both Joseph and others. Now the first of that sort of pattern steps is what we'll call onwards or onwards and forward. We go forward with our lives. Joseph was doing that when we meet him in Genesis 37, verse 2. We're told that he was a teenager, 17 years old, that he had dreams, dreams of grandiosity, really, that made his brothers jealous. And then the time came that the brothers were away from home. Father Jacob said, Joseph... Go check on them. Just make sure they're okay. And Joseph replied, Okay, Dad. And Joseph went forward with his life, at least till he find his brothers. Now we have in our lives the same. Sometimes I say to my wife in the morning, let's plan our activities for today and then get busy working our plan. And so we do. I'm going to leave the first point there because the second 
and third are so important that we'll spend a little more time with them. Joseph, after going forward and meeting his brothers, all of a sudden had bad things happen. His life took a turn backwards. In Genesis 50, Joseph describes it this way, you intended to harm me. Yeah, sure, that's almost understatement. Most of the brothers wanted to kill him. Fratricide is the big name for it. How do you like that? One brother killing another. But oldest brother Reuben voted no, and so they dumped Joseph in a cistern or pit. Later, Reuben was gone. They yanked Joseph out because they saw some Midianite traders. They sold Joseph to the Midianites for a few pieces of silver, probably. And the Midianites took now enslaved Joseph along with them toward Egypt, where they planned to trade. And then they sold the slave into slavery in Egypt. That's going backwards. Now, we too sometimes have things go very backwards in our lives. Backwards is never easy, even for people of faith. All of us, I suppose, are God's people. If not, I'll call you to become one in a minute. Some of us have little faith. Some of us have great faith. I can't move sideways here. I have to stay by the mic, so I will not do it. But if you think of faith on a scale of one to ten, one is little faith, ten is great faith. Jesus used both of those expressions, little faith and great faith. Now, yeah, the people who had great faith actually were Gentiles in the military, but the point I want to make a minute here is faith is, in a sense, very natural. There are things we should trust and not trust, and we learn as children to trust and not trust. I'm not speaking right now of natural trust. I'm speaking of spiritual faith, and that, too, spiritual faith can be Little or great? Jesus speaks of great faith as mountain moving. You might ask yourself, where do I fit on the scale of one to ten? Little faith, great faith. When I ask myself that question and answer it, I'm nowhere near ten, I'll tell you. But when things go backwards in your life, that's when your faith can be tested. If you have little faith, you can really be accosted when things go backwards. If you have great faith, maybe your faith is so great that you figure God is going to move that mountain in your life. And when Jesus speaks of mountain-moving faith, he doesn't want anybody to try to move Mount Hermon in his region or any of the Rocky Mountains, of course, it's a picture of faith that's so strong 
that the mountains of going backwards, God will in his providence overcome. Now let me speak just a minute. If you don't have Christian faith, if there are any of you here who don't, God's grace is coming to you tonight. By grace, you too can be saved through faith. And that are not of works, but it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. You have to trust God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is Savior. Christ, able to save, just like a car is able to go a lot faster than you can run, or a house rooftop is able to keep rain or snow off you. God is totally able in his son. That's what Christ means, anointed able one, and Lord or ruler of life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But I guess I'm especially concerned for those of us who have things go backwards in our life and maybe the devil assails us and our faith grows weak or weaker. That's not good at all, of course. One time the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Luke 17, 5 through 6. That might be a prayer for you to pray as you approach 2021. But before going on to the third point, which is probably the most important one here, the question always arises, how do we increase our faith? I'd like to give a couple answers because I've struggled with those things. One, don't succumb to the devil and the demons and their temptation. When Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil came to him, he said three times, it is written, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But Jesus refused to succumb to the devil. Now we today, you know, you can poke fun of people who find the devil behind every bush and sometimes devil talk and so is overdone. But we tend to be unaware, opposite to too aware, unaware of the devil and demons. They're exploiters. They're out to get us. And we are not more powerful than they are, except through our God. So don't succumb to the devil. Which leads me to the next point. Do quote God in opposition to not only the devil, but quote God especially when things go backwards in your life. It's very, very important that we do so. There's where our strength and power comes from. Now, I'm not a big believer in what they used to call exorcisms and the name and power of Jesus, I say, Depart from me, devil. But you can say what Jesus said. One time he said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. And he said when tempted, It is written. 
There's your strength, my friends, when your life is going backwards. Your strength is not in you. Your strength is in your God. Now, just a couple of practical things yet, then we'll move on. We have to. Don't succumb to negativism, cynicism, depression. Don't let that happen to you. And don't practice Murphy's Law. Whatever can go wrong in my life does go wrong with me. That's not trusting in the God of all providence, if that's your attitude. Instead, you have to stand on the promises of God. That's what you have to do. The better you know God and his word, the better off you are when things go backwards. But anyway, with Joseph, things went backwards. He was sold in Egypt, and that wasn't the end of things going backwards. Bear with me just a minute with a life overview of Joseph here. Slave in Egypt, bought by Potiphar, made manager of Potiphar's household. Next, due to lies by Potiphar's wife, was thrown into prison. And I presume Egyptian prisons, even the royal one, weren't very nice. And you woke up every morning knowing that at Pharaoh's whim, you could die that day. Later, while in prison, Pharaoh's butler and baker being there too, Joseph interprets their dreams. Later still, after the butler's restored and the baker loses his life, two years no less, Genesis 41, 1, we read, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And then the butler says, aha, what if Pharaoh wants his dream interpreted and we can't and Pharaoh throws a temper tantrum. So the butler says, oh, oh, Pharaoh, over there in the royal prison is Joseph. He told me what one of my dreams meant. He's the one you should consult. Maybe he can help you. And so Pharaoh gets Joseph up from the prison, consults him. Joseph tells the dream. And then we read in Genesis 41, 46, this. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Now think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. As a late teenager, Joseph was sold into slavery. 365 days a year, he had to be patient. That business will get too soon. Something happened in his life. It's got to be more than we're told about. But he learned to trust God, to trust in the goodness of God and the providence of God. Linda and I, my wife Linda and I, read a lot of books. One of the best ones I've read this year was by a Roman Catholic priest who was serving in Russia in the 1930s. His name was Walter Sizek. He's being considered now for sainthood, actually. He's been deceased for some 30 years. 
What was absolutely awesome about Walter Sizek is that the communists captured him because he was a Catholic priest. I'm not recommending becoming Catholic or a priest, by the way. But the communists captured him, and they put him in prison. And the man must have been strong physically. He was sent to what we call the gulag, hard labor in the north, where he spent 27 years. And it jumped out at me. That's the same amount of time from when Joseph was sold into slavery until the brothers came. Joseph was about 40 then, seven good years and a few years into the famine. But the thing that Joseph Sizek attributes the fact that he endured those years as not his physical health, but the fact that he, as a Christian, learned to trust God completely, know that God was with him, a short definition of providence, by the way, God with us. Three or four times it says God was with Joseph, that God was with him, and that God would provide for him every day. Now, if you as Reformed Christians say, where was God's predestination? And this Walter being put in the gulag, I'd like to sort of set that question aside with one minute of answer. The one minute is that the typical theological explanation is God created with people with a free will, and because we have that free will, when sin entered, due to the free will choice of Adam and Eve, all hell broke loose. The other common answer is that God created humans to love him back, when Eve loved herself enough to want to undo God's law with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she showed she hated God, loved herself, humanism, and once again, all hell broke loose in the universe. Be satisfied with those answers tonight. The sermon will get way too long if I go in more detail. But what Walter Sizek learned there in the gulag was God is with me and God is providing for me every day even in these terrible circumstances. You and I need to have that same kind of trust, folks, in God and that same confidence in God's providence. So, with that, I'll go on. The third point is look upward. And this is all important. First point was we go forward. Second, things go backwards in our lives sometimes. Third, look upward. Very important that we look upward and see things that we do not see with our physical eyes whether you have glasses or contacts. A biblical illustration, illustration is 2 Kings 6, 16, and 17. There, if we're not familiar with it, was the prophet Elisha and the enemies, the Arameans, were coming against him, 
and his servant, whose name was Gehazi, because they were all upset that Elisha was telling King Ahab, where the king of the Arameans, Ben-Hadad, was going to go the next day. So they were going to just capture this prophet so he couldn't tell on him anymore. So there they go and surround the town where Elisha and servant are living. The servant sees the army of the Arameans around, and he says, Oh, Elisha, we're in a terrible situation. We're two weaklings, and they're a powerful army from Samaria, and they're out to get us. We're in big, big trouble. And things went backward that morning when Gehazi woke up. And Elisha says, wait wait a minute, Gehazi, there's something here you're not seeing with your eyes. That story come back to you now? And around the army of the Arameans, God opened Gehazi's eyes to see the army of God, the angels of God. Hebrews 1, the last verse, are not they angels, God's agents sent for the good of God's people. God's army was stronger than Gehazi's army. That's a little bit what I mean by look up. Or if you will, look out. We've got to look beyond ourselves and see God. And that's what Joseph learned to do. You can tell it from its language. You meant evil against me, brothers. And now here you're coming with this phony message my father never sent, but you're lying and saying he did. You meant evil against me. And then the key words, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. You notice that when we read it? Now if I say two of the most important words to define God's providence are but God, Well, I know English as well as you do, and it's very easy to laugh the way it's put, but it's true anyway in this case. Two short definitions of providence are God with us and but God. You see, God's providence means not that God created a world and then went way off in the universe and took a long snooze and doesn't take any more interest in it. God's providence means God is seeing and intervening, and if you want another text, Romans 8, 28, all things God works together for good to those who love him. You have to look up, and you have to see that kind of God. One of the important things in prayer, in my opinion, is to Praise God for who he is and thank him for what he does for you. Please, folks, as you're looking ahead to 2021, do it. Do it regularly and do it carefully. Just one more little story here. I love it from the 1800s, June 18, 1850 when Napoleon, the French conqueror, was uh, beaten in battle by the English and others. Those days they didn't have the media or anything like that that we have now. 
They had the battle. Napoleon was finally beaten. People in England were anxious to hear an account of it. And so the courier ran from the battlefield to the coastline, got on a boat, sailed across the English Channel, and from there was close enough with the technology of the time to wire London. And there were people looking at the big sign on the clock tower in London. And the first two words came across that clock tower. Wellington defeated, and then clouds hung over at that point. And there was a collective groan and fear that all had gone wrong and Napoleon was free to continue his ways. And then the clouds lifted, and the whole message came through. Wellington defeated the enemy. And all of a sudden, there was a whole different attitude on the part of people because their general was greater than the enemy's general. And that's what I'm telling you here. Joseph means by, but God intended it for good. You wicked brothers, you wanted evil for me. You, were, you would have been glad if I died. You thought that's what happened anyway when you sold me into slavery. But God, the God of all providence, the God all-powerful, the God all-knowing, the God who involves himself in the world he made. You know, I like Jonathan Edwards' language. He speaks of Genesis beginning with creation, ending with continuing creation, And I read what he meant by that theology, and I didn't like it, so I'm not going to tell you about it. But the phraseology is good. The God who created continues his creation. That's what providence is all about. And that's why when we're going forward and things go downward or backward, then we have to all the more look upward. Sometimes we don't do that so easily, especially those of you who are of a bit of a negative nature. But I'm encouraging you tonight in the last evening of this year. I would guess if you look back on your life in 2020, you can see the pattern we're describing from Joseph's life. Onward and then backward. We all heard about The pandemic, I won't get into that. You're probably sick of hearing it, but things went backward for all of us in some totally unexpected ways. And that's precisely when we have to look upward all the more. I challenge you, especially those of you who may be negative or have little faith, look upward to God. Know your Bibles. Quote your Bibles. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now God who is able to do abundantly more than all you ask or think. That's what Joseph is doing to quote a couple of texts here in Genesis 15. But God intended it for good. God is going to be there and God is going to be working anywhere through it all. See if I have time here. The Reformed forefathers, they used to speak of 
four words to describe how God provides. One was sustenance. If you think of a piano or organ and hold the pedal down or the key down, you sustain the note. God's sustenance. God's government over the universe. God works through concurrence or confluence. Think of where the Missouri River, we used to live near it, and the Mississippi joined together. That's confluence or concurrence. And God can work with miracle. The Bible word for miracle does not, there are three of them, by the way, do not mean what the philosopher David Hume meant by miracle, something impossible. Hume, uh, Hume he by, made a logical error with that, by the way. He said, I never see miracles, they can't happen. Well, he never saw the back of the moon either, but the back of the moon is there. See, just a basic logical error David Hume made. In the, in the Bible, the words for miracle mean mighty act of God, powerful happening only God can do. Dunamis, our word dynamite is associated with it. And, and, and a terror, a special sign from God. You may pray for all of those things in your life because he's the God of all providence. You may pray for the powerful. You may pray for that which is a special sign from heaven that God does for you. And afterwards you just say, awesome. What is the current expression for that? A God happening or God deed or something like that, you know? You may pray for those things. In that sense, miracles definitely happen today, too. That's what happened in Egypt, a mighty act of God. If I may use a colloquial for a minute, who would have thought it? You know? Who would have thought it would happen? Joseph in prison, Joseph given special powers, signs to interpret dreams, Joseph being second in command in Egypt. And so the brothers come. And then there's that text in Genesis 45 that almost makes me cry, and I don't cry much. Joseph reveals himself, and he says, in Hebrew, if I may be given permission to use that, Ani Yosefi has a special meaning in the Hebrew. The Ani part means I, and normally would be skipped in, in communication. Yosefi, the ending, means Joseph I am. But he says, I am. Joseph I am in the Hebrew language. Who would have thought what God would have done? Our God is able, folks, with his providence. Now, if you've got that, when things go backwards, look upwards all the more to that God of all providence. And then God leads forward again. In Joseph's life, God led Jacob and family to Egypt where they were well provided for with food. And in the lush north country there, where they were able to be shepherds, which they were used to being. And that brings me to Lord's Day 10 of the Catechism briefly here. It's the God of all providence we've been talking about who were taught in Lord's Day 10. 
is the God of almighty power and ever-present power. God who upholds the universe, rules over the universe, and everything in it. And then I'm going to encourage you as we prepare to close this evening to look at 2021 this way. Look, first of all, at the fact that God is still God, even if backwards happens to you. Look upwards all the more. Onward then upward, a phrase from the 1800s, we follow our God. And God is real, and he is present in the lives of his people. And he does take our messes and works them for good. And then the words I called your attention to earlier from answer 28. We can be patient. Patient when things go against us. Thankful when things go well. You do thank him, don't you? I sure hope you do. Thankful when things go well. And for the future, 2021 too, we can have good confidence. Is it too much to ask you to remember those four words when you wake up tomorrow morning? Patient, thankful, good confidence in our faithful God and Father. Faithful God and Father. Everything God says he will do, God does in the lives of his people. That nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. As for you, you meant evil against me, backwards to me. But God, whom we look up to, meant it for good to save much people alive. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, Thank you for the life of Joseph and the old age lessons he speaks of here in Genesis 50, 19 to 20. And we will respond accordingly, O oh God. We don't see much any more than, uh, see everything any more than Gehazi, Elisha's servant, saw the army of the Lord around the army of the Arameans. But we trust you, good God, and trust you will provide in our lives, no matter what. Amen.